welcome to Rewrite the Rules, the show about women leaders in Asia. My name is Ritu Mehrish and I interview successful women leaders across Asia to discover how they are rewriting the rules of life, career and relationships. From these conversations, we will get practical and actionable tips that we can use to accelerate our own career journeys. Don't worry about writing all the points because I will summarize them at the end for you. We will also link the entire transcript in the show notes. Hi, Aarti. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I want to do a quick intro for our audience. So Aarti is the Chief Media Officer for Formula E, and she will tell us what Formula E is. And before that, she held leadership roles at the ICC, which is International Cricket Council for all the cricket lovers out there. Aarti is a strong believer in the power of sports to inspire and impact positive change in the society. She's also passionate about women empowerment and girl empowerment, even before we become women. And that's the reason why we are having this conversation. Welcome again, Aarti. Would love to hear a little bit more about what you do now and also your stint with ICC. I was very intrigued when I read that. So yeah, share a little bit more. Thank you for having me on this platform, Ritu. My role as Chief Media Officer is to ensure that the fans for the sport grow through all different platforms. And that is through broadcast distribution, digital distribution, whether it's gaming, any new platform. So I have a team which includes technology, business insights. It's got media rights, which is selling sports rights to different broadcasters in the world, producing live racing content, producing original content behind the scenes and distributing it across broadcast partners, our own digital platforms, Facebook, et cetera. So in short, we produce content and we distribute it to attract more fans to the sport. Formula E is effectively, in a nutshell, is the future of motorsport. We are nine years old, so we are in our ninth season, and this is about electric racing in the streets and city centers of the iconic cities in the world. And the big thing about this is we know that the future of mobility is going to be electric, right? Because that's how sustainable. But we are more than just about environment. We are about how do you make society sustainable and actually empowerment and women's empowerment and girls' empowerment that we talk about as part of it. But I think the biggest thing is we were based on a purpose. Our founder had a great vision and we had a ninth year of existence and we are the future of motorsport. In a few years' time, hopefully not that long, three or five years, people will know Formula E is a dominant sport in the world. Wow. Wow. This itself can be a topic. This is so fascinating because I'm sure to a lot of people, this concept Formula E is still new. Arti, what really got me intrigued when I read a little bit about you is your foray into sports. Now, again, I'm not generalizing. I know there are a lot of women who play sports, but still, I think at leadership roles in sports organization, at least I haven't heard or I haven't seen too many women. So tell us a little bit, how did you land up doing there? Did you always want to be here? No, interestingly, if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, when I hadn't reflected so much about why did I get into sports, my answer would have been different. I do love sports. So it's like, I'm doing something I love doing. I think the reason and I, this is a bit of a background, I am Indian, my family is Indian. I have not been living in India for 20 years now, because I work for the ICC, which is headquartered in Dubai, and before that, for 10 sports. But I grew up in India, my dad was in the army, I would say, The background that we came from was traditional, but my dad was a forward thinker in the family. And I'm the first girl from the family to be working. We are two sisters. I've got an older sister and me. And I think from a very young age, I generally saw where I existed 
how boys were preferred over girls. And I think subconsciously, I eventually wanted to make a point. I wanted to work in environments which had low female representation. So rather than say which were male dominant, I would say low female yeah. representation. And for me, the two ones that stuck out were sports because I, I love watching sport. And the second was army because my father was in the army. I was like, okay, I'll join yeah. the army. But I think by the time I was 15, I was very clear that all I wanted to do was work. I just wanted financial independence. I didn't want to take a penny from anybody. I didn't want to spend time at home. I clearly remember this line my dad told me, never step into the kitchen because you will never get out of it. So I think he was quite a visionary that time. But that line, if I think about it today, I actually tell my daughter, you need to learn how to do things. Because yeah. it's very different, right? Kitchen is not a place for a woman because in a whole yeah. house... He sees her parents equal. Exactly. So I yeah. think it's the background you come from. So that's why I think, Ritu, long answer to your question. I think there were a lot of factors that that's why I ended up in sports. So interestingly, sports primarily has been where women representation has not been great. Even now, though we are trying, especially let's say India or Asia overall, how was that journey? I actually did my graduation in journalism from Delhi University. We were the first batch of journalism students. And even then when I did my internship after the second year, I did it with Indian Express. And I said, I want to join the sports desk. So I joined the sports desk. I did a lot of satellite tennis tournaments and different things, never got to do cricket. And eventually my editor called me in and he said, do you want your byline? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, then don't work in sports because you won't get a byline, but it'll take you years and years. So and why what's a byline? A byline is actually having your name published versus like okay. press news service. So I'm part of a larger service versus RT Debas by RT Debas. So obviously I have my name. And so in the final month, I had two months of internship because it was in the summer. I went and covered all sorts of things. So I finally got a byline and it was an opportunity because I was in the office early and there was a mortuary somewhere where dead bodies were strewn around and they had to find somebody to go and cover it. And it was ironic. I got my first byline for something which was quite horrific, actually. And then I finished my journalism. I went to Sophia's in Mumbai to do mass communication, social communications media. I think that sort of changed my life a bit. It was like the whole course is about using media for socially relevant things. People were standing up the first day they're like, we want to make educational programs. We want to do this. And there I stood up and I said, I want to make sports programs. I can proudly talk about the impact that sports has on society because it's actually a massive impact, especially on women and girls. It's yeah. not about being an elite athlete. The reason I love it that my daughter loves sports is the confidence it gives her, yeah. just the teamwork things that she's learning, just all of that, that I think girls and women, sometimes I feel don't take risks, don't do this, you'll get hurt. Yeah. It's always a no, 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 rather than just go and try things. So I think sports has a massive impact on how it can empower girls and women in society in life in general. I was at the Sophia's and I was like, I want to work in sports. There were only two sports organizations in India, really. It was a sports channel, ESPN Star Sports, but it didn't do any production of its own. Everything hmm. was outsourced from different production houses. So I called TWI IMG. They used to produce tennis internationally based in the US, UK. And I kept calling them for a month. And uh, the receptionist finally put me through. And I said, all I want is an internship. I want to come and work. Hmm. And eventually after a month, I remember going to those STD booths and dialing from yes. Bombay. <laughs> and uh, they said, okay, you can come and work for a month internship, but we won't pay you, etc. And I was thrilled. So I came hmm. back to Delhi, back living with my parents after a year. 
And that's how I started my internship. After a month of the internship, they said, we don't have a job to offer you. So I was back to square one for a couple of months. I almost, out of desperation, was going into a PR job. And then they called me again saying, oh, we are starting some programs. Would you like to join us? And so that's how my journey started. But I was talking about Sophia. I said, why it changed my life. First time away from home. Very intense course for a year with equally inspiring women. And just our HOD was strong. And she literally made all of us cry once. It basically set me up for life. We used to work 20 hours. It was intensive, sometimes sleeping in the college and public transport. Bombay was like, I think I grew up as a person. And because it was my decision, I'd got into IIMC in Delhi as well, Indian Institute, but I wanted to go yeah. away from home. I just wanted to get away from home. Hmm. So first three months, I remember I used to be an introvert and then I don't know how I became an extrovert, but I think that one year was my defining. So I stuck with it yeah. for three months. And then eventually I think I found the confidence to, it was just great. And actually I'm in touch with each of those girls. We are on a group together and somebody was just saying she's won an award for some amazing originals program. Somebody's making films, somebody's a great journalist. And wow. I think one thing that does tie us all together is that girls and women's empowerment. It's a really strong yeah. group. But I have to say one thing. You talk about women in leadership in sports. When I joined IMGTWI, there were such amazing women producers, about five or six who worked in sport. None of them work now. And I keep saying this, that recruitment is a problem about opportunities, but retention is a bigger yeah, problem. Bigger. Same women as they go up. And all of them had to leave, stop working for one reason or the other, because... I'll tell you about my story. The only reason I could continue is because I have a very supportive network, whether it's my husband who stopped working to allow me to work full time, yeah. or it's my parents and just colleagues that I've had. So I think that network is so important, supportive network. Right. Great. Aarti, I think what you shared was great. I loved your journey. As you said, you went to prove a point to yourself and then you succeeded. When you started working, what were some of, the challenges that you faced? I think one of the challenges, and I look back, is I think I functioned like a man. I basically changed the way I behaved, and I think I lost touch with my feminine self. Now, yeah, as I'm sure. older, I think about it. I wish I was allowed to feel a woman. I, it's funny, I was allowed to feel a woman when there was some harassment happening, but yeah. otherwise, it was, I had to be a man to survive in that world, which meant. Being a man means no vulnerability, no emotion, always showing confidence, ultra confidence. I knew I had to speak louder than others to be heard. I think I've also had harsher yardsticks that I was judged by. So, for example, if I got an interview with a cricketer, those days, Sevag and all these people used to play domestic cricket. They were like, yeah. obviously, it's easy for her because she's a woman. But mm. actually, it was harder for me going yes. there and surrounded. And it's funny because all of these people are now my friends as well. I think but the other challenge for me was actually I didn't have any female role models or any yes. women around me who were supporting me. Unfortunately, one of the things I've seen through my career is women have been competing with me. And I don't know why that is the case because maybe they feel there's this small space and struggle to find women who are supportive. In my previous job, there were women in the board who've been CEOs. And I reached out to them, but I didn't get any support. I didn't get any reaction. Mm. It was really disappointing. There are two kinds of women. 
women who fought hard to make their presence noticed in a largely male-dominated world, but they are not there to help other women. They say, we've done it, so let them struggle. They like having the only seat on the table. And then there are others who will bring others along on the journey, saying more of us is better because it helps overall decision-making, diverse, everything. I hope it changes. Yeah. No, I can relate to some of the stuff you said because in my work, we've often seen women not supporting women enough. And my theory on that is what you said is that sometimes women have fought so hard or worked so hard to get there. And sometimes they, that's because of the environment, right? So they fought and they really worked hard to get there. And then one, either they are enjoying that space because they know only two women can be on that team. And therefore there is this competitiveness that, okay, I've got here. Why should anybody else have it easy? Or I want to protect my space. But I think once the environment or the external factors change, once we start to see more and more women in those positions, that will change. Then we can bring up more women together and therefore then create that scene. The other piece about role models, I run women leadership programs for corporates out of 10, 20 batches I've run, 70 to 80% of participants in each batch will have a male as a role model. There are not enough role models there. And it pains me a little bit having worked for 25 years. I'm sure there have to be enough role models. And that's part of the bigger thing that I'm trying to do. So can we create more role models? I think a lot doesn't get said about women leaders. For example, let's say you or other leaders whom I'm interviewing is let's get more stories out. Because when people see more, hear more, that's when probably there'll be more inspiration. Aarti, I want to switch gears a little bit and come back to you. How did you go through some of these challenges? What were some of the steps you took? I've realized, and this is after, again, you reach a certain age, after working for whatever, 24 years or 25 years, when you're in it, in the thick of it, I think I just didn't stop. I just carried on. I wish when I look back, I wish I had allowed myself more time to develop in different areas as a person, because for me, it was just work. I was there nonstop working. Until I had my daughter and then I struggled as a mother. I'm like, what do I do for two years? It was a struggle because yeah. I was like, my God, I have to think about somebody else and not work. I think one of the things is I've realized, and this is probably introspectively, I never asked for help. I wish I'd asked for help because there were people who would have supported. Just being honest about the pressures you face and the challenges you face every day, like whether it's you haven't had a break for long, whether there's something at home you have to deal with because ultimately it impacts your productivity. And as women, we find it harder to talk about those issues. And I'll give you an example. I was producing live cricket in Pakistan. So I, first of all, was like no women on the crew except one, probably she was a uh, director's assistant, I remember. So you're in a crew with about 80 to 100 men, right? And I only got the opportunity because my male colleague had to go somewhere else, right? So they said, okay. There were no toilets for women. And then it's, it's that time of the month and you're like, okay, how do you... And there was nobody to talk to. But I think now I'm very open about those things. And I think generally the biology of a woman is very different to a guy. And I think we need to talk more about how we need spaces or workspaces that suit us. Yeah. I, when I had my daughter, I was already in a leadership position and I struggled. I had to stop breastfeeding and not because I would have stopped anyways. But when I went back to work, there was no place I could find. It's tiny things, right? Yeah, yeah. But the point is that I don't think the way things are set up 
necessarily inclusive. And I don't mean go over the top, but I actually see it from a woman's point of view and only a woman can see it from a woman's point of view. I'm sometimes asked the question saying, why don't you only do women's sport? I'm like, no, yeah. but why can't I do men's sport? There has to be a balance between the two. You can't just say I'm a woman, do women's sport, and then men do the women's sport. Like it's the balance yeah. has to be brought because different perspectives draw. When I was young, I didn't know what was right and wrong. And I wish I'd spoken up. Now I'm in a position where these things are coming to me and I'm in a position to actually make fair decisions. And when I look back, it did impact. Like in my previous job, I was asked to leave in a very bad manner. And I realized that women who lose jobs struggle to get new jobs as well because of networking. Our networks are not as big as men. I can't just call a guy and maybe I can now at this level say, hey, can catch yeah. up for a drink or catch up for dinner? Because I have to think twice about it. What yes. signal am I saying? Catch up for a drink or dinner? What does that actually mean? I don't know how the balance will ever come about. But yeah, I would say that every big moment or incident that has happened in my life, I didn't actually stop and deal with it. I just carried on because I thought I couldn't take a break in life. So I think that's really important that you find the network that you do when things are happening to you, find people to talk to and deal with those things emotionally. You have a voice, use it if you're ever uncomfortable or just use it to yeah. voice your opinions, what you feel. That is the most important lesson I could give anybody. I think that's such a good point, you know, about, as you said, about feeling confident to speak up. And I, my hope is that from where we were in our journey to where now things are, the organizations and in general, I think women are at least broadly, again, it's not everyone, but are more empowered to at least speak up. There was one thing that I did want to talk about, and you mentioned a while back, is about the support of people in your life. And you mentioned about your husband taking a break when you had your daughter. Tell me a little bit more, because I think that's, again, an underrated opportunity or untapped opportunity. I think women don't do enough of tapping into support system that exists, and people do show up, but we just don't ask enough. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think even growing up, I was lucky enough to have parents who didn't really force their choices on me. I remember I was 24 when I moved to Dubai and my dad was like coming back in a year and a half and he never really pressured me. And I think it was okay. It was okay. So I was lucky in that sense. Yeah. And um, with my husband, he is, he is 10 years older to me. He's, he's quite well established. He still is in what he did. He had a full-time job. And then we, when we decided to have our daughter, which is after I had a lot of health issues, he just said, look, I'm just going to stop working, irrespective of the fact we would have got house help and support. Yeah. He's a commentator. He writes books, sports books and different things. And he said, look, I, because I said, I can't stop working. That's my identity. I've, this is yeah. what has driven me in life. And if I stop, I don't know what I'm going to do. And actually, he struggles to break through the mom's network, which in itself is also a challenge, right? And I do talk about it. Yeah. How do you encourage more dads to take an active role when they're not yeah. let into these networks? I read somewhere, you can choose three things out of five things to do every day. You can choose family, friends, exercise, work, and I'm forgetting the fifth one. And every day you can do three things. You can't do all of them. And I think you just have to be comfortable about making trade-offs in life. And the trade-off we made was going from two salary to one salary, but having the confidence that eventually in the long term, that's the right decision. And he has been so supportive. He keeps telling me, you're wasting, you should be CEO now, what are you doing? I think just his belief in me also helps me. So I think that is really important. And I guess I got lucky because 
the people who impact you most in life will be your family, will be your teachers, will be your friends. You can't choose the family. You can choose who you partner with in life and you can choose the network of friends. That's your choice. And choose wisely by people who lift you and who don't pull you down. Correct. Auntie, you make such a great point about choosing the right partner. I've had few leaders tell me that, women leaders who are quite successful, saying that their husband supported. So I'm glad you bring that up. Yesterday, I was speaking to another leader and she talked about the need of building allies within the organization. How sometimes as women, we don't do enough of that and how sometimes they can come into support and can really sponsor us and build that visibility. So I'm glad you're you're talking about that. Aki, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you something more personal, being such an overachiever. How do you define success? What does success mean to you? There is no one way to define success. I know when you're saying overachiever and stuff, I feel I still haven't achieved anything. You know, in my head, uh, and I've been told, like, be kinder to yourself because I think I'm not kinder. That's another thing women need to do, by the way, is to be kinder to themselves and acknowledge that. I think success for me is how you learn from failures, which is really important. I'll, I can be pretty candid about that. I was sacked from my job 12 years over there, called into work one day, handed a termination notice. Never has happened in the history of that organization. It will never happen again. Eventually, that leader was asked to leave because of his behavior. But I actually think that was a defining moment in my life. And there was another harassment case that happened to me. That was a defining moment. And it's only because... I've been able to think about, again, it's like, how do you convert challenges into opportunities? I keep telling my niece, sometimes I wait for what's the next failure that's going to happen because I think I learn a lot from those. For me, success is really how you recover and can redefine yourself on that growth trajectory or in life. Because I am today because of the sum total of the experiences I've had. And that's why for my daughter, I do think about what is it that's going to drive her? Do I need to find these things? But I think eventually she'll find her own thing, right? I don't have to try too hard. I keep telling her, I leave her with two funds. One is a nanny fund and one is a therapist fund because she'll need both. (laughs) I like that. You've given a lot of insights and you've said a lot of things that, that maybe young women leaders and emerging women leaders can benefit from. What would you say? What are two things that women leaders emerging, young, inspiring women, what should they really be looking out for? I think because I work in sport, I've seen so many top athletes, male and female. The one thing I've learned is self-belief. Self-belief is really important because that belief is what will drive you, which is which comes from a lot of things. Be kind to yourself, believe in what sure. you are, what you can offer. Don't let anybody else dim your light. You need to talk yourself up sometimes. So the belief is important because I think women more than men don't have that belief. And the second thing I would say is ultimately people talk about luck and et cetera and stuff. I think ultimately the harder you work, the luckier you get. And there's no replacement for that. And I would say to all the young girls that our time has come. And I'm a bit tired of people saying there should not be quotas, places for women. And I'm almost like, I actually don't care. If somebody's calling me a diversity candidate in the leadership team, I don't care. I don't care. I still have to do the job, right? I have to deliver on a role. So I just think be pretty shameless about 
why you're getting like the opportunities are important and then it's yeah. for you to make something of that opportunity yeah. so again don't let anybody else dim your light the belief the hard work yeah. and eventually your output will determine where you go you'll yeah. always have hiccups in life don't find blame don't blame things and don't find reasons great my last question to you um looking back if there was one advice you would have to a younger self what would that be uh have more fun i think i've always been a very serious child not that i was a top all the time never i think i was in the top 10 but not like always excelling right at the top i look at my daughter she's found a passion in playing sport i used to play sport but i was quite quite a lonely child and i wish i had more fun in life i wish i have happy memories of my childhood don't get me sure, i think yeah. i probably put a lot of pressure on myself so it was very like i knew i had to do something and which meant that i don't think i played as much i don't think i learned new skills as much which now when i'm i want to unwind i have absolutely no idea what to do because yeah. i don't know how to have fun <laughs> like just live a life beyond just academics and work yeah. and you need to have that as well Aditi was such a great conversation and I wish we could go on and on. A few things that I took away there were lots actually I took away but things that stood out for me was this thing that you said about self belief right just believe in what you're saying and don't always look for external validation but just carry on I think that's really a key message self belief and I have seen women leaders need that somehow much more than men or even if men need it they don't project it that much but there is something there I the second takeaway for me was the fact that you said that it doesn't matter whether you are part of the diversity candidate or a quota candidate whatever be shameless and the reason why it stood out for me because i know some women leaders i work with they were like yeah sometimes we get this thing from our male counterparts saying oh you are part of this because of this 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 but i love thing and i jokingly tell people that it's too bad there's going to be some collateral damage when we try and rectify something which has been going on for years so i love the point that be shameless and the third one is of course be kind to yourself sometimes i think as women leaders we are just very harsh on ourselves those are my key takeaways apart from everything else that you said thank you so much once again for your time it was such a pleasure having you and i'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot from you so thank you so much aditi great ritu thank you for the opportunity i really enjoyed the discussion thank you so much for staying with us till the end if you enjoyed today's discussion Please take a moment to subscribe to the show, rate us 5 stars and leave a review. This really helps others find the show and that means a lot to us. Thank you for joining us today. This is Ritu with Rewrite the Rules podcast. See you next time.